The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. There are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible giants in the sky. Everybody says jump, everybody says can't, everybody says rain or rats or miracles. No one here to guide you. 
sit back and enjoy this service in celebration of the music and life of Stephen Sondheim. There are giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible giants in the sky. When you weigh up high and you look below at the world you've left and the things you know, little more than a glance is enough to show you just how small you are. When you weigh up high and you're on your own in a world like none that you've ever known, where the lead is lead and the earth is stone, you're free to do whatever pleases you. Exploring things you'd never dare, cause you don't care when suddenly there's a big, tall, terrible giant at the door. A big, tall, terrible lady giant sweeping the floor. And she gives you and she gives you rest And she draws you close to her giant breast And you know things now that you never knew before Not till the sky Only just when you made a friend and all And you know she's big but you don't feel small Someone bigger than her comes along the hall To swallow you for lunch and your heart is led into stomach stone and really scared being all alone. And it's then that you long for the things you've known and the world you've left and little you own. The fun is done. You steal what you can and run. And you scramble down and look below and the world you know begins to grow. The roof, the house, and your mother at the door. The roof, the house, and the world you never thought to explore. And you think of all of the things you've seen And you wish that you could live in between And you're back again, only different than before After the sky There are giants in the sky There are big, tall, terrible, awesome, scary, wonderful giants in the sky! You're always sorry You're always grateful You're always wondering What might have been then she walks in And still you're sorry And still you're grateful And still you wonder And still you doubt And she goes
what you always were, which has nothing to do with all to do with her. You're always sorry, you're always grateful, you hold her thinking, I'm not alone, you're still alone, you don't live for her, you do live with her, you're scared she's starting to drift away, and scared she'll stay. get better, bad get worse. Wait, I think I meant that in reverse. You're sorry, grateful, regretful, happy. Why look for answers when none occur? You always are you always were, which has nothing to do with, all to do with her. You'll always be what you always were, which has nothing to do with, all to do And I'm so lucky I feel 
Good morning, everybody. Good morning, wherever this Sunday morning finds you. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I am Vanessa Southern. I'm our senior minister, and you are here for a wonderful Sunday service. This service, just so you know, was entirely pre-recorded so that our singers could unmask and our choir could sing to you from the sanctuary and so that we could give you the best celebration possible of Stephen Sondheim, who we will be celebrating the music and the life of and the influence and the legacy of today with our worship service as part of this whole month of February where we are talking about love and what it is we serve with love in our lives, inspired, of course, by Sidney Poitier's 1967 movie, To Sir With Love. We have adopted the name for the month's programming of To Serve With Love, and this service is part of that. So welcome as we talk about Sondheim and what he loved and served with his life and music and how it rippled out, as these things always do ripple out when we serve with love in our lives. I want to note that next Sunday service will still, we think, be live stream only, but we are aiming for March 6th to have everybody come back in church who feels safe. So stay tuned. We will definitely be sending you emails and pushing notices to you so you absolutely know because we are so excited to be back together again as soon as possible. So looking forward to seeing you all. I want to thank those who made this Sunday service possible, and it is a huge array of people, as you might imagine. We have two worship associates who have participated this morning, Daniel Jackaway and Carmen Barsodi. 
so I'm grateful to them. We have a huge array of musicians, as you might imagine. Our music director, Mark Sumner, who is the inspiration for this service, but who has pulled into the celebration of Sondheim Bill Gans, our soloists, Nancy Munn, Leandra Ram, Braille Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould, Richard Fay, Asher Davidson, and Gilead Vorman, and our amazing choir. We want to thank, of course, Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong for serving as our camera people and to Jonathan Silk, as always, for pulling it all together, which is an astounding act this week in particular, to Joe Chapeau, who is on chat right now to answer your questions should you need any help, especially newcomers who might want some guidance about how to be present on the chat or otherwise today. We want to thank our Zoom coffee hour hosts, so you can join them later. And I want to name the gorgeous flowers that are on our chancel, Athena Papadakos and Amy Kelly are responsible for what graces our chancel with the full spirit of spring. So welcome. Welcome to this incredible Sunday morning. And now I I want to invite us, as we have each week since the beginning of the pandemic, to light a candle in honor of all of you, all of us, not here together in body, but to bring us all here together in spirit. Welcome. Good morning. Please join me in the words for our chalice lighting, which can be found in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join me in proclaiming our covenant. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
I have this morning for you some brief invitations. If this is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter. You can also get it by signing up through a link in our connection form that is in the order of service and at the video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after this service. Three things to call to your attention. We continue to enjoy the conversations and programs of our To Serve With Love program. Today at 1 p.m. we will gather in a program run by our Sensible Cinema, a discussion of the work of Sidney Poitier, both his movie To Serve With Love, which many of us watched Friday night, but also his other work. Our speaker will be Cornelius Moore, co-director of California Newsreel, a nonprofit film, film distribution company which has for nearly five decades distributed cutting-edge social justice films with African-Americans and African themes that inspire, engage, and educate audiences. In addition, Mr. Moore is a curator of the African Diaspora Film Club held at the MOAD, the Museum of African Diaspora here in San Francisco. The Zoom link should be in your order of service. And look ahead to conversations about members of this congregation and what they love and serve with love, including Monday evening's program with Reverend Margot Campbell Gross and Thursday evening's conversation with our resident comedic artist, Mari Ramos Magaloni, Michael Bossier, and Cal Ball. Please register and join in from seven to eight on these evenings. This is just some of what is going on and your presence and involvement is welcome and encouraged. This concludes our invitations this morning. I invite us now to sing our way into worship. We begin with something from a little night music, a song that Sondheim wrote overnight because Glynis Johns, who didn't have a solo and needed one in the second act, she had a great smoky speaking voice, but as a result, couldn't hold her breath in order to sing. So he wrote a song with short, breathy phrases for her, which suggested that they should be questions rather than statements. Even though she had never recorded a song before in her life, Ms. Johns nailed the cast recording first take. It is written, the first performance of a song I've never heard before, whether my own or someone else's, tends to be not only the definitive one, but also the one I want to live with. The notion that first love is the best can pertain not just to human relationships. The last musical song named Grammy Song of the Year was Send in the Clowns 
1975. You can join in or just listen and get lost in the music. Ironic, isn't it, that our sung breathing meditation this morning was a song written for an artist who had no breath support? But I hope we found some breath support 
and some grounding in it. This service is a celebration of an artist, composer, lyricist, Stephen Sondheim. He was born in New York City in March of 1930, and he lived until the age of 91, as most of you know, just passing away on November 26th of 2021, this last fall. In that time, he produced 19 major works, but had lots of other works that were unfinished. But also, in a larger sense, left his indelible mark on the face of musical theater. He wrote lyrics and songs for imagined moments in his characters' lives. But for all of us who were present to those performances or listened to the songs, Often, we knew those moments personally, some of them. And so we recognized the human condition in his words. We recognized our human condition. The songs he wrote then were memorable in more ways than just as a tune you couldn't get out of your head because it was certainly often that. They were songs that traveled with us. One such person who traveled life with Sondheim was Mark Sumner, our music director. And asking him about it, he told this story of how Sondheim came to be part of his life and music. I was 17 and embarking on my senior year in high school where I was immersed in music, but not theater in any way. It was all Verdi, Brahms, and Bach, an elitist 20th century repertoire. I studied piano, bassoon, saxophone, arranged choral music, and sang bass baritone. In my small town in Oklahoma, we had the finest choir director and band director. There were many big fish in that big pond in that very small town. One evening, however, I tuned onto TV to the public television channel where they were broadcasting the filming of the cast recording of some musical called Company. The recording that's customarily done after opening weekend ends before the reviews can kill any show. Here were these incredible singing personalities addressing subject matter you never heard spoken about in Oklahoma, let alone sung about. Who were these people? Who wrote this incredible music? Who was conjuring all these new thoughts in my head? I was gobsmacked. I, I didn't know immediately what to do other than to get my hands on and memorize this show and begin to imagine a life outside of small town Oklahoma. This creator cracked open a whole other room full of treasures. Eureka! And so a journey to other music and other landscapes of creative life and possibilities opened in one life. And so we find ourselves here in a month focused on love and what we serve with love in our lives, doing a service on Stephen Sondheim. 
The songs were chosen by Mark, but also by others who wanted to sing one or another song that touched them or has stayed with them. And we'll share as we go a little of the journey to and with and behind each song when we can, and part of the story of their creator, Stephen Sondheim, whose world opened up worlds. Sondheim, whose music and lyrics were the background music and accompaniment to so many moments in so many lives, maybe our own life. The first musical I ever saw was Sondheim's Company. My grandparents took me to a regional production when I was 11. For those who aren't familiar, that's kind of like showing an 11-year-old an episode of Seinfeld. I just didn't get it at all. I was too suburban and far too young to understand that series of musical vignettes depicting a 35-year-old single New Yorker as he grapples with finding a partner while wondering if marriage is worth the trouble. Having a brother five years older than me, I frequently got to see media that I wasn't quite ready for. And frankly, watching Star Wars when I was six was a lot more fun than watching Company when I was 11. But don't worry, I got unintentional payback. When my grandparents offered to take me to a show to celebrate my high school graduation, I chose Avenue Q. I had heard that it was very funny, and I had not heard that it is far too adult to be a good choice to see with your grandparents. I think we all had a great time, and I personally managed to ignore the awkwardness and focus on the show. Today, I am much more equipped to appreciate company. I lived for years as a single adult who at times felt doubtful that I would ever be married. Now, I am married. So I can see myself both in the main character, Robert, also known as Bobby, and in the ensemble of married friends of his who round out the cast. The show is tongue-in-cheek and extremely eclectic. It has songs about ladies who lunch, a bride contemplating running away at the altar, and Bobby's married friend appreciating how useful it is to have that one single friend who has so much free time. That's true, by the way. We have a single friend who is always happy to dog sit. Being Alive, the final number of the show, features Bobby pondering his ambivalence about marriage and his fear of, of the surrender of his self. In the first verse, he sings through his fears with deep disdain. Someone to hold you too close, he sings. Someone to sit in your chair to ruin your sleep. End quote. The second verse depicts Bobby's epiphany. 
he sings those exact same concerns, but as a request, a wish as he blows out the candles on his birthday cake. Somebody hold me too close, he sings. Somebody sit in my chair. At some level, this is the genius of Sondheim's humor. We don't get married because we want someone to sit in our chair. And what does it mean to be held too close? But that is what marriage is. Finding someone who you love so much and who will enrich your life so much that you want to enmesh your life so deeply with them that it can look irrational and scary from the outside. And when we choose well, it is so worth it. Now, I invite you to join in singing Being Alive. We will sing from that closing verse where Bobby flips his worries into wishes, yearning for the life-enriching challenge of marriage. Somebody hold me too close Somebody hurt me too deep Somebody sit in my chair And ruin my sleep And make me aware of being alive Being alive Somebody need me too much Somebody know me too well Somebody pull me up short And put me through hell And give me support for being alive Make me alive Make me alive Make me confused Mock me with praise Let me be
Sondheim had a difficult relationship with his parents. They divorced when he was a child and his mother was cruel and mentally unhealthy, once telling him that the thing she regretted most in her life was having him. It was about the time of the divorce when Stephen was about 10 years old that he became friends with James Hammerstein. James was the son of lyricist and playwright Oscar Hammerstein II. The elder Hammerstein would become a surrogate father to Stephen and not surprisingly a mentor who profoundly influenced the young boy's love of musical theater. In one well-known story, Sondheim writes a musical while in high school, and it's a huge success among his peers. Not telling Hammerstein of who the author is of the piece, Sondheim shows the older man the score, and Hammerstein says, it is the worst thing he's ever seen. But, he says, if you want to know why it's terrible, I will tell you. The two then spent the rest of the day going over the musical, and Sondheim would later say, in that afternoon, I learned more about songwriting and musical theater than most people learn in a lifetime. The young artist was also shaped by his time at Williams College, where he attended, attracted by their theater program. His first teacher there was Robert Barrow. Sondheim writes of Barrow's influence Barrow made me realize that all my romantic views of art were nonsense. I'd always thought that an angel came down and sat on your shoulder and whispered in your ear, da-da-da-da-dum. It never occurred to me that art was something worked out. And suddenly it was the skies opening up. As soon as you find out what a leading tone is, you think, Oh my God, what a diatonic scale is, oh my God, the logic of it. And of course, what that meant to me was, well, I can do that. Because you don't just know it. You, you think it's a talent. You think you're born with this thing. What I found out and what I believed is that everybody is talented. It's just that some people get it developed and some don't. The next song we'll hear is from Merrily We Roll Along. The musical is an adaptation of a play told about three friends that begins the play at the end of their story, or one end of their story, and works its way back through time. It starts with us seeing songwriter and film producer Frank Shepard at a party in his plush LA home after a big premiere. It begins with Frank basking in fame and sycophantic praise, but divorced, estranged or distanced from his son whose graduation he has just missed for no apparently good reason accused by a good friend, Mary, who's at the party, of selling out his gift for songwriting for commercial success. And the play moves backwards to a point where we see Frank's marriage, and backwards 
till the play ends with him as a young college graduate, full of promise and hope and ideals. In the song, Not a Day Goes By, Sondheim plays with form. The reprise sung today is sung second in the musical, but written as the complete song. The earlier song, shortened and bitterly sung by Frank's ex-wife in the first act. This song, a second act highlight, is sung in its reprise as Frank and Beth are just married, singing to each other. Mary, Frank's colleague, sits aside alone, singing to herself. The effect of splitting up the words to the three characters adds several dimensions of storytelling not possible in a solo redux. Thusly, the song is used in three ways. First, angrily in the first act, disillusionment as the theme, Second, as a love song full of promise. And in contrast by Mary, the lovelorn destined never to score her guy. Not a day goes by. Not a single day You're not somewhere a part of my life And I need you to stay As the days go by I keep thinking when does it end can't get much better, much longer, but it only gets better and stronger and deeper and nearer and simpler and bigger and richer and clearer and no, not a day goes by, not a blessed day. somewhere comes into my life and you don't go away and I have to say if you do can whistle, 
was produced in 1964. It took 33 backers auditions to raise the money for the show, longer than the run the show had. The premise was a fanciful story about a small, economically depressed American town whose venal mayoress gets the bright idea of arranging a fake miracle to attract tourists. The tourists arrive, but they become intermixed with the inmates of the local cookie jar, a rest home for nonconformists. Farcical complications ensue. Arthur Lawrence, who was a collaborator from West Side Story, and Sondheim share a fondness for whimsy. Anyone Can Whistle was an attempt at sociopolitical satire in a freewheeling form, perhaps even the first absurdist musical. It exhibits the strengths and dangers of the genre. Imagination and cleverness, which too often, instead of enriching each other, draw attention to themselves. Lawrence was also the director of the show, which should have been a red flag. It meant that one vision emerged. With no outsider to contradict or challenge the work, and so the vision for the show turned out to be myopic. Lawrence and Sondheim, you might say, had courage, but lost perspective. For those of us from the outside, maybe it is good to remember that even genius can go awry and learn from the wrong turns. For Sondheim, gra grounded in the lessons in his Williams Theater classroom, and that notion that talent was something that was developed the risking and the learning and the evolving was part of the challenge and the journey of the work and life that he loved. Anyone can whistle, that's what they say, easy. Let 
Make you cry, lose your pawn. 
Our offering will now be given and gratefully received for the works and ministries of this congregation. To make a donation on Vanco or using the donate button on our website, please select the offering choice to make your gift. If you are sending a check, please mark in the memo today's date and write offering. And now about the offertory song. Losing my mind is a homage to Gershwin's The Man I Love. Sondheim once remarked how many of the pleasures of writing is noting how a single small word can change or intensify the emotional tone of what is being said or sung. For example, using the word to instead of and in the last stanza of this song takes Sally a step further into her obsession with Ben and offers a nice example of the subtle powers of the English language. God, Sondheim knew, is in the details. I dim the lights and think about you, spend sleepless nights to think about you. Thank you in advance for your generosity. Sometimes I stand in the middle of the floor 
What launched Stephen Sondheim was West Side Story, which debuted in 1957 when he was 27 years old. Most of us know it as an iconic, memorable, singable, powerful musical that's part of the canon of American musical theater, commented on so many dynamics then and now, still present in American society, took on race and cultural, cultural friction, and a remake, of course, of the timeless story of love, tragic love told first by Shakespeare in Romeo and Juliet. Who would imagine then that Sondheim didn't entirely want to do the project and didn't entirely love doing it? He auditioned for Leonard Bernstein, but Bernstein only wanted Sondheim to write the lyrics. Sondheim wanted to write music and lyrics. The fact is, and still is, Sondheim would later say that I enjoy writing music much more than lyrics. So. Sondheim consulted with his mentor, Hammerstein, who said, as Sondheim related in 2008, when he did a video interview with the New York Times, Hammerstein said, look, you have a chance to work with very gifted professionals on a show that sounds interesting. And you can always write your own music eventually. My advice would be to take the job. Sondheim would do so, and he would have two regrets after accepting West Side Story. First, that it tagged and then dogged him with the label lyricist. And second, that many of the lyrics for West Side Story suffer from a self-conscious effort to be what Leonard Bernstein would deem poetic, which is to say the voice in the lyrics wasn't fully Sondheim's. I knew throughout, Sondheim would later say, I was collaborating with someone whose idea of poetic lyric writing was the antithesis of mine. Collaborating with Arthur Lorenz, Leonard Bernstein, composer, Jerome Robbins, director, and eventually Harold Prince, producer, what Sondheim learned his biggest takeaway from working on West Side Story was how much he needed a collaborator. I have to work with someone, someone who can help me out of the writing holes, someone to feed me suggestions, someone I can feed in return. To be part of a collaboration is to be part of a family. And absent parents, a kid who grew up without any sense of family, every new show provides me with one. It may be temporary family, but it always gives me a solid sense of belonging to something outside of myself. Sondheim would go on to create great music always out of this generative collaboration, though the partners in it would vary included people like Harold Prince and James Lapine. Both of the songs we are about to hear are love songs, but different. The first from West Side's story is about the love, the only true love, strong and steadfast, but which ends tragically. The second song from Company by Bobby, again, is when he's caught up in this moment of seeing all of love's possibilities as it exists in all of his friends, girlfriends, and wives, but without any reality of it in his own life. 
It's a song, though, that ends in a more hopeful place. Both are not love songs, then, that center in ideals or shiny happy endings or simplified truths. Sondheim almost always prefers to depict life in this way, connecting in real ways to the real experience of the human condition and situation. One only has to go back to his childhood to have a clue as to why any romanticized, simplified, mythologized vision of love in particular might not feel so honest to him or healing. And music might be a chance, among other things, for honesty.
interesting to read about the life and some of the behind the scenes of a person whose work you admire. And always better when what you find there is wisdom and, like Sondheim, joy and passion in all they're doing of it all. Sondheim doesn't sound like Frank Shepard, his character who lost himself, betrayed his gift, alienated love and loved ones. In other words, like someone who left a trail of carnage in exchange for some fame or fortune. Of course, like all artists, I'm sure Stephen Sondheim did more than one show he didn't want to, more than one project that left him a little hollow or with some regrets. West Side Story wasn't the only one he talks about or writes about with mixed feelings. And I imagine sometimes you just have to pay the bills. And that's life. But lovely to read about someone who hangs on to the rudder through life, its temptations, its storms. Maybe part of what helped 
him to do that was the lens that Stephen Sondheim brings to his work, as he did in the last two love songs we just heard, that honesty he has. How often, Mark Sumner observed, you'd hear or read an interview with Stephen Sondheim, and he would start by saying one thing, and by the end of the interview, he would have affirmed the complete opposite of what he said and affirmed at the beginning. Stephen Sondheim seemed immersed in life's both ands, its paradoxes and irony. And maybe that perspective served him well in life. It certainly is part of what many of us love about his art, how it lets us be human. As poet Walt Whitman famously wrote in Song of Myself, do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. And Whitman echoing in his words those of Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, speak what you think now in hard words and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it contradicts everything you said today. These were people who, like Sondheim, I think, saw the self as evolving, always. And that our growth happened when we faced ourselves and the world without fear. And truth, truth was there when we made our peace with the complicated, contradictory depths we might discover and knowing that this is where the messy, examined life, full throttle, engaged, alive, inevitably would take us, as it had all the bold people who had gone before us. There's a lot of humanity in that vision of life, and a lot of truth, and a lot of grace. So maybe not surprising that for a man for whom life was never simple, never easy, never predictable, at least not for long, that when it came time to tell a fairy tale, that too was going to be complicated and layered. Into the Woods was a mashup of grim fairy tales. Sondheim joined collaborative forces again with James Lapine and he predicted that this musical was going to have a long life appealing to school productions and amateur theaters and professional ones too. I'm surprised to say I was right, he would later say about Into the Woods. It's a show in which everything a character knows is also a little bit not, to quote Red Riding Hood where there are giants in the sky, big, tall, terrible, awesome, scary, wonderful giants in the sky, where you head out into the woods and are shown things, valuable things that you hadn't known before. And it is scary and exciting and you learn nice is different than good. 
and you're glad you're changed by what you come to know, but also learning all that you come to know, it means the loss of a little bit of innocence, and that is complicated. Which is to say again, we see life's honest truths, messy, complicated, and Sondheim's honest fairy tale mashup. And maybe it helps us understand our own lives a little more. And also, whenever we recognize our own lives reflected through art, through his art, maybe we know in an embodied sense in those moments that we are not alone, that no one is alone. St. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. So let's bring today's service toward its close with a prayer, which is to say, let's sing. I invite you to sing another memorable and true song from Into the Woods, Children Will Listen. The words are in your order of service, but maybe you already know them by heart.
now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. dead. 
Not completely. Are we ever? As far as I'm concerned, you are. Is that true? It's because of you that all of this has happened. I climbed into the garden to steal your mother a gift, and I foolishly took some of those beans for myself. How was I to know? How are we ever to know? Then she died, I ran away from my guilt, and now aren't you doing the same thing? No. Aren't you running away? No more questions, please. No more tests. Comes the day you say, what for? Please, no more. They disappoint, they disappear, they die, but they don't. What? They disappoint, in turn I fear, forgive, though they won't. No more riddles. No more chests. No more curses you can't undo, left by fathers you never knew. No more quests. No more feelings. Time to shut the door. Just no more. Running away, let's do it. Free from the ties that bind. No more despair or burdens to bear out there in the yonder. Running away, go to it. Where did you have in mind? Have to take care, unless there's a where You'll always be wandering blind Just more questions Different kind Where are we to go? Where are we ever to go? Running away, we'll do it. Why sit around resigned? Trouble is, son, the farther you run, the more you feel undefined for what you have left undone. And more what you've left behind. We disappoint, we leave a mess, we die, but we don't. We disappoint in turn, I guess, forget though we won't. Like father, like son. No more giants. Waging war Can't 
we just pursue our lives with our children and our wives till that happier day arrives. How do you ignore all the witches, all the curses, all the wolves, all the lies, the false hopes, the goodbyes, the reverses, all the wondering what even worse is still in store, all the children, all the giants, no. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.